Our reading this morning is from Good Pleasure by Vicki Kemper. Day after day, worried people shuffle into my office. They are not so much striving as grasping at straws, panicked, willing to walk into a church and humble themselves before a pastor who sometimes has to convince them that, yes, she is the pastor. Too beaten down to imagine a different world, just trying to survive, just hoping for a handout. Their electricity has been shut off. Their landlord is threatening eviction. They don't have money for car insurance, but if they can't drive, everything else will fall apart. Could they get another gift card to buy groceries at the supermarket? No one ever comes seeking, don't worry, platitudes, or a privilege-centric, be not afraid, though occasionally someone asks for a prayer. Often the well-being of children depends on how I respond to worried grown-ups. I am not Jesus, or God, or even a particularly good person. I have no kingdom to offer them. What I do have, what we all have, is the good pleasure that comes from giving, the humility that comes from realizing I could be the one in dire straits, the compassion that flourishes when I connect with my neighbor. Thank you, little flock, for sharing your worries with me. Friends, here is our world. Beautiful and tough things happen. Let us keep our hearts tender and our eyes soft and our words as true as we can. This is what we are about. We know there is no answer but to love each other. We bear witness against unnecessary destruction. And then we come here on Sundays and in the week in community to practice being the person that we look in the mirror and we say, I want to be this person. We cannot do everything. It bears repeating. But we can do something, and that something is never nothing. So let us forget our perfect offering. There is sometimes a little crack and sometimes a whole huge cavernous hole in everything. But you can say with me, that is how the light gets in. I must have been something like five when I remember gripping the edges of the windowsill, the second floor of the front of the house of my childhood home. I was gripping so hard that my fingertips turned white, both. And I was looking out the street to the left, down to the end of the street. I was waiting, I was waiting to see the, the headlights of my parents' yellow Volkswagen bug. The flat-screened one, by the way, the old school, very cool one. I was waiting to, to make sure I would see them because then I would know that they were home safe. But it was after 11, and they told me they'd be home by 10. And the, my little five-year-old 
Emberly wheels were spinning with so much fear that something must have happened to them, which would mean that me and my sister would be alone forever. I was sure of it. I mean, why else would they be late? I was, I was positive. Psychologists have a word for this, words, catastrophizing, anxiety. But all I knew was that I felt, I was five, but I felt like this weight on my chest, this weight of dread, this worry. This word we've heard a lot of this morning, it comes from the German meaning to constrict, to constrain our breath. Boy, that feels true, doesn't it? Anyway, I was feeling this. I, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I ran downstairs to the babysitter and her boyfriend making out on the couch. <laughs> and when I told them how I was feeling, they introduced me, because they were making out on the couch, to the, some of the four least helpful words in the English language. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 30 minutes of trying not to worry about it later, the Volkswagen bug turned the corner and pulled up out front, and I could finally catch my breath. Now, I must have been something like 11 now when I found myself in the confessional whispering through the wired mesh to the priest, confessing that surely God was finished with me and carving out a place in hell just for me, just for Nathan, because I had whacked Todd Barku over the head with my speed racer steel lunchbox. <laughs> because he had made fun of my adopted Vietnamese sister for her different than white people eyes at lunch. And even though I knew my anger was righteous, and that Todd Barku deserved something. I kept hearing in religion class how judgment is mine, saith the Lord, not yours, Nathan, and that this must mean that my soul was in mortal danger. Said the priest through the wire mesh, son, just say a couple our fathers. And, and the least helpful words in the English language. <laughs> 30 plus years of trying not to worry about it later. <laughs> no, wait, actually more. I'm going to be 48. Like, I can't even do the math. A lot of years later. I'm still trying to shake the fear that God is watching over me like an angry peeping Tom. 
my theology constricts me. Are you with me? It's like I'm taking shallow theological breath. I must have been something like 20 years old. I was a sophomore in college. And when I couldn't put off the science requirement any longer, so Astronomy 101, here I come. Because I heard whisper that telescope time outweighed math time. It's a total lie. And because I didn't know, my friends, this was 92, didn't know how to challenge success. There was no challenge success. There was no offering that reminded me, that told me differently, because what I believed is that I was successful only if I got good grades and kept my GPA up. So I stayed up late for nights and nights and nights and nights trying to learn space and time and physics, eventually landing one morning desperate as hell at the office door of my advisor who advised me to take this stupid class, <laughs> who after listening to me worry about what a C or D would do to certainly destroy my future, smiled and said, with all good intention, the four least helpful words in the English language. Nathan, don't worry about it. A C minus in astronomy later, and trying not to worry about it in therapy later, I am still trying to believe that who I am is not what I do. or what I accomplish. The anxious pressure to perform, it's like this weight on my chest, like those vests they give you at the dentist before the x-ray. Do, do you feel that weight? Can you guess what I am? I'm a warrior. Emberly, I'm Emberly. Or actually, let me be more clear. I suffer with anxiety. And the statistics tell me, I may be all alone up here, nobody's with me, but all y'all have, do, or will, or know somebody who does, suffers with anxiety or its cousin depression. And here's the thing I want to say. If worry constricts us and anxiety makes us restless and out of breath with fear, telling us to just stop feeling that way is like telling someone with asthma, which I also have, just stop wheezing. 
It's like telling somebody with cancer, just stop growing too many cells. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But for some reason, we have all these charity runs, and we have GoFundMe pages, and we have all the empathy for the world for ailments that strike below the neck. But when we're struggling with worry or with anxiety or with depression, it's like this character flaw all of a sudden that we're supposed to be able to fix all on our own. And when we can't fix it on our own, because in truth, we need, like Emberly, the company of others. When we can't fix it, we end up feeling like, well, what the hell is wrong with me? Don't we? How come I can't make myself stop feeling this way? Am I broken or something? Does this sound familiar? You know, it sounds familiar, but the problem is, is that we don't talk about it very much. It's part of the problem. When we chose this theme, I think it was back in June, I thought, oh God. Um, So I need to, I want to change that we don't talk about hard things. I've been here long enough as your minister to to not actually worry whether you're not going to like me if I talk about hard things. And I'll tell you, ministers, that a lot of our colleagues don't feel that way. But I need to out myself because I want you to see someone who's up and like, oh, this place just drips with what? Authority or something? Like, like I know what I'm talking about. You deserve people around you that I hope that you respect. I hope that I've earned your respect. You deserve that we tell you the truth. Especially in this culture that prizes like how we look and what we have and, and how successful we are. I'm outing myself so that we don't feel shame about how we feel when we don't think that we're measuring up. Because, you know, shame leads to secrets and secrets leads to loneliness and loneliness combined with biology leads to, guess what? Some pretty heavy anxiety. So, straight up, last fall, last August, my dad died, All of you, many of you know that, And I was walking into the hospice place in St. Louis where he was. It was right after he died. They they lit this little candle at his door. It was beautiful. I had a straight-up, full-on panic attack. I I mean, I didn't want to even go. I had to sit on the couch. Like, the, the the whole place was, like, spinning. And then that panic attack 
turned in like this low boil, this low constriction of anxiety for the entire fall. Every Sunday, I'm like holding on to the pulpit. And I remember feeling all kinds of things, but one of them was pure frustration. Because I was channeling the, my inner babysitter at five and my priest at 11 and my college advisor at 20, and I literally remember standing in the bathroom mirror of my house, staring at myself, saying, Nathan, what are you anxious about? You're fine. Stop worrying, okay? Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and when, shocker, shocker, that stern pull yourself up by your bootstraps didn't work because I don't even know what bootstraps are. I don't think I have any. <laughs> like, how can you pull up if you don't have any? So when I couldn't do that, I couldn't stare at the mirror and yell at myself. It was Karen, who I've been married to for, for over 21 years, who said to me, it was time, Nathan, you go ask for help. And when, shocker, I resisted. <laughs> because I'm, I mean, I'm supposed to know how to help myself. Like, I took classes on that in seminary. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Am I still a good minister? I mean, I preach about this stuff. Surely I can just watch my own sermons And this weird metaphysical, like, and when shocker, that didn't work. I relented. Relenting can be such a relief. Because I couldn't breathe. I couldn't I couldn't breathe over everything and nothing that was pressing down on me. What I did was I, I told my, my family, my kids, my daughter, my son, teenagers. I told staff here. I told my close colleagues. I told my friends. I told some of you so that I could look at you when I was preaching and feeling the 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 wooziness of this pulpit, and I re-upped with my therapist. And you know what? Shocker, for real this time, shocker. Not a single one of those people said to me, don't worry about it. Instead, you know what they did? They just listened. You're thinking, just that? Just that. But can we take away the just? We who are always looking for like hugely complicated solutions to our complicated lives. Listen. People listened to me. 
And then I went to see my therapist and she was wonderful. She said to me something that I will never forget. She said that your anxiety and your worry or your spouse's worry or your kid's depression, any of that, it is not a malfunction. You're not broken. We are not broken. Instead, when we feel this way, she said, what's going on with me, what goes on with you, it is instead, it's a signal. It's a sign. And what our work is, is to pay attention to what the signal and the sign is telling us to do. What it, and where it's pointing us towards. Are you following? And for me, the anxiety that I was feeling was a way of telling me that I really didn't know how to grieve my dad. I mean, I'm supposed to know how to do this. The robe for many clergy can be a way to pretend that we know more, way more than we actually do. I didn't know how to grieve my dad. I didn't know how to grieve my brother who had died four years prior to that. It was my brain, it was my body, it was my spirit, it was my heart, it was my soul telling me, Nathan, give yourself time for this. Don't just launch back into life and to work. Make way for the loss. For me, anxiety was a stop sign and God was there with an orange traffic vest holding up a sign telling me to wait, to stop. Just sit still. Breathe. I wonder what your worry is signaling for you. I really do. You know, our reading, she talked, Vicki talks about people coming in and telling her her worries. I pray that I've never told you to don't worry about it. I pray that I've never said that. And if I have, I beg your forgiveness. What is your body and your brain and your heart and your mind and your spirit asking you to pay attention to. And if this is not something that you wrestle with, my friends, there is someone in your life, I guarantee you, who is. This world we live in, it is an anxious world. It is an anxious time. You are not broken. I am not broken when we feel the weight of it all. This is not up to you. It just means that we're all paying attention. <laughs> we're paying attention. We're noticing the signs. And what we need in this moment, in these moments, is to, to get rid of the me and get a lot more of the we. 
We're not off. We're not malfunctioning. We're not broken. We are, we need to look at the stop sign. We need to stop with the going it alone. We need to stop with the shame. We need to stop with the pronouncements that all is good, that I'm fine, and look at my Instagram post, look how cool I am. We need to stop bearing this weight by ourselves. We need to stop with a held breath. And I just, I want you to be, like, I want you to drive past the church and I want you to see this place just a big, open breath. A big place that you can inhale and you can exhale. I want us to help each other breathe here. I want you to speak your truth. I want you to not pretend. I hope that I'm modeling for you what that might look like for you. I want you to, to out yourself with somebody else. Talk about your fears, and I want you to talk about your hopes. I want you to inspire, to breathe in the life of the people around you this morning. I want you to, I want, when you're anxious, I want you to talk to somebody. I want, when you're depressed, I want you to call us. I want you to call someone. Community cannot fix everything. Coming to terms with yourself cannot fix everything, but it's a beginning. And surely we can be a part of that beginning. Without knowing it, you have done that for me. Let this place do it for you. And let us draw breath together.